Good morning, everybody. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I know some of you thinking, man, that is so ungodly. You know, I, I, I'll back up even my craziness with a Bible verse. Uh, I think it was the apostle James who said, to one man regards the day unto the Lord, and another man does not regard the day of the Lord. Whatever he does, let that man do it in faith. So in faith today, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and I regard it to the Lord. So, uh, Hey, let me, if it was Splatoon, if it was a video game, we'd be doing the exact same thing. It doesn't matter that it's Super Bowl, but it is. It's Groundhog Day. It's our small group kickoff, uh, which is happening today. So it's, it's a really, really cool weekend. Uh, February 2nd, 2020. Now, um, how many of you, I want to show you how this date can also be represented. Look, take a look at this. All right, how many of you knew that that was a palindrome? Yeah, raise your hand. Nerds, yeah. Yeah, you guys are, why can't they get girlfriends? You know, it's like, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, uh, so today's one of those dates that it looks really cool, and, um, but it's a Super Bowl Sunday type of thing. It's our, our kickoff, and we're going to give you an opportunity after the service to go back and look at our small groups. We'll have a way. We'll explain how you get these amazing designer cupcakes that we had made just for Crosstown. They're spectacular. If you look at a certain number of tables, you get a stamp, and you get yourself this amazing cupcake. We are telling your kids right now in Children's Church that, that their mommies and daddies can get them cupcakes if they will just go and, and look at some of our small groups. So we, that's the way that we play. Um, you know, last week we talked about some of the elements in Abraham's life or in our own lives about if we're going to discern, how, I mean, how we, we're going to move forward, we're going to have to discern what the right path is. If we're going to reimagine, there's some imaginations we need to kind of take off the, off the table. There are other imaginations that are inspired to us by God or this beautiful creative world that he's put us in that rise up that we just need to discern whether or not is this what God wants me to do? Is this a good thing for my life? Is this something that I should follow? And we learned about that being really important. And today, in the middle of the hype of sports teams, we're going to talk about another element that will help bring you to success and reimagining your life. And, and I know that a lot of you are thinking, I'm going to use the Super Bowl as an example. Um, I'm going to use a different game that will help us kind of see the role of reimagining and how important it is to have this specific element that we're going to talk about. And I, and I don't want to use football because a lot of you are just going to marginalize me as a grunting football guy, and it's like, oh, I can't stand football. And, and, and I know some of you right now are like, oh no, I know exactly why he's not using football. It's because the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl, and he's downplaying the whole thing. You know, I don't know if you realize, we're on a cycle. It's every other year that we win this thing, okay? So, I mean, this is just our off year. Um, and I know that every one of you is thinking, you know, during the sermon, he's going to subliminally flash shots of Tom Brady. Uh, there'll be scenes of like Malcolm Butler intercepting uh, Russell Wilson and the Super Bowl, or maybe, you know, them beating Atlanta or, or, or all the other teams in the NFL. And, and so I, I know you think I'm going to kind of put some shameless plug for for uh, Boston sports teams, you know, the Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins. Boy, 
golly, am I so blessed to have, I mean, I love living in the South, and, and I've been here for a long time, but I'm beginning to, you know, so I'm not going to do it, um, and so I am telling you from my heart, I will not do some shameless plug for it, because I'm going to watch the game, and as far as I'm concerned, it's not about Boston, it's not about New England, it's about the commercials. Am I anybody else there? Yeah, so just to show you my goodwill, it's not about, it's not about New England. Uh, let's just start the, the day off with a, a really good commercial. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, good, how are you? He's not getting that car in there. No, sir. Look at these two troublemakers. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Wicked car, is that new? Yeah, it's a Sonata. Let me pack it. Oh, you're not fitting your car in there. Chris, stop being a smarty pants, all right? Look who's got smart pack. Smart pack? Just hit the clicker, car packs itself. It's smart. It's wicked smart. And I can pack it anywhere. How about Dorchester? Packed it. Foxborough? Packed it. The garden? Packed it. Saugus? Packed it. Swampscott? Revere? The harbor? Are you kidding me? I packed it and then unpacked it. You unpacked it? Kid. Game changer. That Sonata ain't got no driver. That's all right, he's got smart pack. Hey, you can pack there. He's got smart pack! Hey, whoa, whoa, it's Big Poppy. Wicked smart. This is a ghost car. A better way to park. Only available on the all-new Sonata with remote smart parking assist. Sorry about that, your bigness. Did you guys know he lived there? I had no idea. Smart pack. Man, that was a good commercial. Man, I love that thing. You know, um, so we're reimagining Abraham and we're following his story as, as God's giving him an opportunity through his promises to think differently about his life. And I think that's what God's doing with every one of us. And, and like him, we're kind of caught in the same cycle of just imagining the same outcome regardless of, of the circumstances that a lot of us are just looping around in anxiety, in fear, in depression, been there, done that. It's just a vicious cycle and there's gotta be a way out of it. And uh, a lot of it takes place right here in our psychology. And God wants to influence our psychology. We don't, you know, a lot of times in the Christian world, we divide things up into the kind of, um, you've got the lower story of facts and science and psychology and things like that. And, and then we have this upper story that's called values and experiences and uh, philosophy. And God's kind of stuck up upstairs in the attic in the room of theology. And, but, you know, all the big boys play downstairs. That's where all the truth really happens, where all the facts happen. But what we see is in Scripture is that God really does want to impact the world of facts. He wants to impact the world of psychology, the, how we interact with each other, how we think inside of our imaginations. And I think Christians don't realize the power of imagination. We kind of gave that away for some reason. Other than dealing with the issue of lust or covetousness, we kind of kind of viewed imagination as negative, but it's, it's part of the, the work of the, of the brain that, that God creates future before one click of the clock ticks off is that future can begin to happen in the brain and we can begin to imagine a different outcome before even the calendar it takes place. So God wants to offer every one of us through his promises, his ability to see and know the future, um, to be able to reimagine our current state of affairs in our lives. So he invites us to embark through his promises to revisioning of our lives. So I'm actually gonna use a different game and uh, this is, 
totally going a totally different direction than NFL Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and I want to see if you can guess the game. And uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of clue on it. And you just yell out the name of the game. Let's give them a little bit of cue uh, right here. Let's, here we go. Anybody? Ah! <laughs> what? what is it? Well, who said it? Jumanji, baby! Yeah! Man, I don't know. I, if you guys are aware of Jumanji, I've never actually played the game, I, but the movie is amazing. Now, whenever I thank you on the drums, the, game, the movie is amazing, especially the one that was kind of um, brought out recently with the rock in it. And, and if you're not familiar with Jumanji, it's, um, it's a game about four teenagers who really don't get along, four teenagers who have different kinds of life, and one's a jock, one's a nerd, one's a, the cool girl, one's kind of like the nerd girl, and, and I think there's like one other person in there. And, and so they, they, they really don't get along. They're all doing detention together, and they really can't stand each other. But while they're doing detention, they're having to clean up the cellar of this high school, and they're down there, they find this game, video game, and, and they turn on the video game, and they get sucked into the game. And when they get sucked into the game, they become these new characters. They, became, they, they become these new individuals. And though they didn't get along in real life, they're forced, in order to get out of the game, they have to save Jumanji. So they're all given a revisioning for their lives. They're all told, okay, this is the vision, this is the end game, this is where we're heading, but I need all of you to cooperate together and collaborate to try to bring this about. That God doesn't just give us one vision for our lives that's totally disintegrated from other people's lives, but rather he, he kind of brings us together and begins revisioning all of us together in a journey together to help work together. So, so in, this game, in this game and in this movie, uh, um, they all have these skills that they're about to discover that they've got to use to help one another get to the place that, God, that, that the game has vision for them. And you're going to see the, uh, the analogy as we move forward. But let's watch as they discover some of their skills. Okay, this is what I'm good at, playing video games. It's what I do. It's literally the main thing that I do. Play a game like this, there's going to be levels. In order to finish the game, you got to complete all the levels. Levels are going to get harder as we go along. We complete the levels. Spencer, do you even know where we're going? Kinda. Kinda? Oh, that's good then. We're in good hands. Okay. The missing piece, I'm guessing. But the problem is, there's nothing here. What do you mean there's nothing there? It's a map, just like they said. It's a map of Jumanji. Cartography. What's that? The study of maps. It was one of Professor Oberon's skills. Yes, that's right. Oh, so you can't see this, but I can? The characters we chose, we all have certain skills. So there's got to be a way to access our... Oh! Wow. What'd you just do? Strength. Fearless. Climbing. Speed. Boomerang. Smoldering intensity. What just happened? Um, you just smoldered. Weakness. None? Strengths. Karate, Tai Chi, Aikido, dance fighting. Dance fighting? Is it even a 
thing. Weakness, venom. Seriously? Paleontology, what does that even mean? Um, study of fossils, I think. That's kind of cool. I hate this game. Weakness? Cake. Yes, cake is my weakness. Along with speed and strength. Huh. Strength is my weakness. Hey, can I, quick question. How is strength my weakness? Somebody explain that to me. You're also a good weapons valet. What does that mean? Well, I think it means you carry my weapons in your backpack and you give them to me when and if I need them. You know, I think it's really cool because Abraham is journeying with God to reimagine his life. But during the journey, he realizes that he has to discover community, that God wants him to do life in community, and that that community kind of helps him in the process of correcting his journey, kind of using his skill set, the things that God has blessed him with. He begins to use that skill set. Uh, it helps him find strength and give strength to other people in the middle of this journey. And so what we're going to find out today is that we, we all need um, people to bless in our lives. It's really interesting. We're going we're gonna to look at it a little bit more, but we actually need people to bless. But also, we need people to bless us. There's, there's this thing in the, in the revisioning of our lives that, that God never says for us to do it alone. But yet when we live in community with each other, that, that we begin to experience blessings in our lives uh, from other people, and we begin to bless other people with our lives as we travel with them in journey. So, and, and I don't want you to think of this as some sort of relational black hole codependency, like I need you in my life. That kind of codependency that we know that is, that, that's more on the dysfunctional side. But it, it really is part of who we are to need other people. I mean, and it, there is another part of us too that needs other people to need us. You know, and, and we'll look at that even more, but there's something about the human psyche that, that needs to feel important, that needs to feel valuable, that needs to feel as if it's making a contribution into the lives of other people, or otherwise we get self-absorbed in our own successes, or even worse, we get self-absorbed in our own minis misery. We just get kind of caught in this, this darkness of our lives, in the situation of our lives. So whether you get it from the narrative of Genesis where we're told that God said it is not good for man to be alone, this idea that we're to live in community with each other, or that God created us in the image of a community, if I can call the Trinity a community. I mean, when God creates us, he creates us in the very nature of this idea of being in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, don't know how it all pulls off, don't know how it all works, but there is that sense of voice within us that we're not just here to discover who I am, but there's a part of that who I am that's discovered in helping you discover who you are. And there's a part of me discovering who I am by you investing in who I am because I need you to help me discover who I am in this whole process. Or maybe we get it from Jesus. 
When Jesus was talking to his disciples, as he creates this community, we call them disciples or apostles, and we know there was 12, and then there was you know, probably 120, uh, and then there was probably 200 that kind of moved like a cloud of community around with Jesus. But it was interesting, the litmus test of whether or not they were getting what Jesus was saying wasn't understanding his eschatology or, or figuring out how he walks on water or how he's gonna raise himself from the dead. But rather, what he says, listen, this is the point that I want you to get that will verify that you got it. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not your personal overcoming of addiction, not your personal actuation, not your, you know, your personal success, though those things do you know, corroborate the story. But rather, he said, listen, this is when people are going to get it is that when they see you guys discovering your skill sets and then beginning to use them to help each other on your journey. He says, as they see your love for one another, they're gonna to begin to get the picture of what the re-envisioning of life is all about. Or maybe we, we get it from the Apostle Paul. When uh, using like in an analogous kind of way, he uses the body and says that the body all works together that nobody can say, the ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you, or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. But he sees the working of God revisioning people's lives as a kind of collective process. Not only you know, discovering the individual dexterity of your hand, but also the operations of digestion in your heart and your, your lungs all collaborating together to bring about the same result. Or maybe we get the illustration from watching the football game today. As you'll watch teammates, you know, on the sidelines, you'll watch coordinators, you'll, you'll watch that, that guy, that, I mean, or that gal. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like all of a sudden, at, 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 when they take a timeout, all of a sudden they kind of walk out the field and there's that person that comes up with the little squeegee thing, the drink, and they kind of like open their mouths and this person's squeegeeing and putting it into their mouth. Everybody is being a part of this bringing about the same success. Um, maybe if you're into Fortnite or Splatoon and, and you realize that these games require a, a higher level of success as you go from level to level as they get harder, that it requires more and more community to be behind it. But we were, we were designed to do life together in relationships and cooperate towards common goals and common values. So Abraham is no different. He's not just some, some isolated rock star. And regardless of the grandeur of his God-inspired reimagining, which, by the way, his reimagining is going to be this, that I will make you a great and mighty nation. He says the reimagining of, of, of Abraham's life is not, oh, I'm going to make you a faster runner, or I'm going to make you a better on a bicycle, or I'm going to make you smarter than everybody else, kind of you know, separating him from everybody else. And he's like, no, you'll become the father of a mighty nation. You will have a children, and your children will be an offspring. It's like, so the reimagining of Abraham's life, when it's fulfilled, is creating what? A community. Not a fully actualized self alone, but rather creating community. And so while he's in the middle of this process, uh, Abraham discovers that he needs to be a blessing. And he also needs to receive a blessing. And I, I think maybe we're kind of a having a difficulty with one of those at least. The idea that I could actually be a blessing to another person. 
I mean, that's kind of hard to wrap around. You're, you know, to get the thought that, wow, the world needs me or the world is better because I'm on the planet. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, that's kind of like the hubris of that sounds really, you know, wrong, but it's, it's not the case. It's God's like, no, you were created to be significant. You, you were in, created to be impactful. You are cre- there's somebody else's journey that needs you to be a blessing into that journey. There's, there's somebody out there that needs to bless your journey, that you can only go so far until this gal or this, this guy comes along, this community, this small group comes along and you're a part of that, that when you're in that small group, that, that all of a sudden you begin to get this um, a, a completion to your life that you cannot achieve on your own. So... One of the examples of it for Abraham's journey is, uh, can I just stop for a second? Because I know I'm, I'm talking in a mile a minute, aren't I? I mean, I, I know it's not just being ADD that I get into that, that cycle of, uh, um, can I just tell you that God is so good. Um, and over the last six months, I have fallen in love with him so much more. Um, just to have a moment of excitement and clarity uh, in a person's life, and we don't always have them, but it's really cool when all of a sudden it just kind of like, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm bigger than my pain, you know? I'm more important than my meds. I'm more important than my age. I'm more important than my gender. I mean, it's like, I, there's significance here, and that's what God wants to communicate to every one of you today, is that God's got this incredible thing, and it's not just Super Bowl Sunday, you know, it, it's not the palindrome that makes the day special. It's you that makes the day special. And everybody's life that you impact. So, during Abraham's life, his nephew got in trouble. Uh, a lot really hadn't shown himself making really good decisions. Um, and he, he made a lot of bad ones. So, you can kind of envision what Lot looks like. Um, it would have been easy for Abraham to just move the tents and leave Lot behind. And don't we get that way with some people? It's like, okay, I'm just sick and tired of getting phone calls or their text messages or hearing the same sad story over again or having them go through the same cycle of dysfunction again. You know, it's like it'd be so easy to pull up the tents on Lot. He's one of those guys. Let me read you a little story and, 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 and I have to admit, I've modified the scripture, and I, all of a sudden, that's, that's going to go on the web, I can tell you right now. Local pastor, altar scriptures. Now, what I did was I took the names of these kings out because I couldn't pronounce them. And I, I, so I, I, you know, but, but please look it up. If you want the name of these kings, it's in Genesis 14, starting in verse 8. So it's in there, but I just made it a little easier on myself because otherwise I would have just looked ridiculous. Then the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, <laughs> what's that, okay? The king of Bela, that is Zor, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim. Didn't do a lot of walking around in that area. That's, that was kind of a, a Siddim area. Uh, <laughs> you liked it better when I was in pain, didn't you? You, you like, it's like, somebody go smack him in the back. Uh, uh, with the king of Elam and then the king of I, I don't know what that thing is there. I mean, I don't know where that place is. Uh, the, the king of Shinar and the king of Eleazar and the four kings against five. Um, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and the rest fled to the hill country. 
So the enemy took them all, all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. And here's, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. I don't know, I could easily write off a lot here, couldn't you? I mean, we kind of know what's going on in Sodom, maybe some of the stuff that's taking place here. And, and you know, if you're a Bible Belt individual in, in this area, you can maybe write off Lot because, well, dude, you did it to yourself. You put yourself in the wrong place, and this is what you get. You reap what you sow. Could you imagine? I mean, you could hear that coming out of the Christian mouth, you know? And, and it's like, well, you know what? I have gone after him too many times. I'm just not going after him. You know, this is all him. And, and I understand there are sometimes we got to realize we can't save another person's life or we can't save another person's marriage or make the choices for their dysfunction or addictions. But, but you know, I, I love what we see here um, is that Lot's been taken, everything that he owns been, has been taken, and they've run off with him. But Abraham goes after Lot, Now, this is going to be really impactful. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen, remember that word, that his kinsmen had been taken, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. So let me ask you this. Who's got your back? Who are you living with? Who are you doing life with that's got your back? Who are your kinsmen? You know, it's like, wow. I mean, if you really messed up in life, or if life turned sour for you, or if an illness overtook you, if an addiction uh, tripped you up, if some sort of loss came into your life, who would come after you? I mean, who are you in relationship? And, And who is your kinsman? Who is that person who is born of the life of Christ, who's part of your tribe, that's part of your family of faith, that would come after you? Do you have anybody? Are you close enough to anyone that would come after your life? Um, Who will go after you? Or here's another thing. Who would use their resources to help you get your resources back? See, Lot doesn't just get recovered. Lot and his resources get recovered. I think that's really interesting. It's like... What a complete way of of redeeming another person is not only just to go get them, but to go get them and their stuff, to help help them bring them back to that place where, where life maybe normalizes for a moment. And if we don't do life in community, who who's gonna come get us? Who's got our back? Abraham sees the blessings of his reimagined life that he's been acquiring, walking with God, and God's adding stuff, adding stuff. I mean, it says 318 people were born in his household. 
So, I mean, these are all the workers and the, and the servants that are in his life. and all. I mean, so he's journeying with God and people are being born and cattle are being born and uh, he's making acquisitions. And, and you tend to think, you know, okay, I got these acquisitions. These are mine. But when somebody in community with him be, falls into a place of being carried off without even saying whether or not it's their fault or not, Abraham takes those 300 and 18 acquisitions with him, with all of his force and his power, to go and to rescue Lot. See, small groups aren't just Bible studies. Small groups aren't just something that we do because, you know, that's what churches do. But there are places where you discover somebody or a group of people, and maybe not even everybody in the group, but it's a place for somebody to, to, to get your back, somebody to know who you are. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Have you ever been in the place where you just needed somebody to cry with you? I mean, generally would just cry with you. You're not looking, I love it. There's no advice being offered here. You know, it's, it's just somebody's got your back in a situation where when you're excited about something and, and you know, uh, uh, it's, it's like... Uh, you know, our friends, the Piscazios, you know, are, got a new venture in their life and they're not going anywhere. But as soon as I found out about their, their new adventure in their life, I was like, man, that is awesome. And I know now I've ruined the rest of their morning. Everybody's going to go up and ask them what they're doing. Um, it's, they're not going anywhere, but it's a really new adventure. But, you know, as soon as I heard that, it was like, man, I got to text Dan, let him know. That's awesome. That's amazing. It's like, well, what's your opinion about it? It doesn't say give your opinion about stuff. You know, see, that's what we do. We, we, uh, we find out news about somebody, and the first thing we need to tell them is whether or not it's good or bad. I don't know. Why are you guys doing that? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what my experience is. No. It's like, are they rejoicing? You know, so when you walk into the room, and you just kind of walk into the room, and everybody in the room's doing this, you walk into the room, and all of a sudden, hey, what are we doing? We're rejoicing. Well, okay, that's what we're doing today. It's like, what are we rejoicing about? What with this? Okay, we're rejoicing. It's like, wouldn't it be cool to have somebody that when every time you go through a situation, they come alongside of you, they got your back. They're celebrating with you. They're weeping with you. You know, they're weeping with you. And, and, and I don't want to, I hate to use my own personal examples all the time, but this is really big to me. It's like, I don't want to talk to people who don't feel the, what I feel, you know? I, I, you, know when I, you know, talking to Mark, you know, Mark's my age, and me and Mark have cycled together, and, and you know, he's had some bad knee things and replacements and all that stuff, and, and when I hurt my back and I can't ride, you know, it's like, I'm, not gonna, I'm not, probably not going to tell some 30-year-old, you know? I'll say, you can't ride your bike anymore. Why don't you do something else? You know, God bless you 30-year-olds. You're awesome, okay? <laughs> no, I'm going to go find another 60-ish person who loves cycling that when I tell him I can't cycle anymore, I know he feels exactly what I feel. And he's not going to say, well, get over it. You're a Christian, you know? It's about the kingdom of heaven, Paul. It's like, no, 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 dude, that's what you're weeping about? Um, I got gotcha. you. You know, I, I feel for you. I know how you're feeling. And it's so, oh, uh, it's not that anybody can fix it. I just want somebody, somebody's got my back. 
And I think we all need somebody, you know, and, and we got to be that for somebody else. We've got to get somebody else's back. I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Not berate the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all. I just got no time for you. You're an idiot. Okay, you know, I mean, have you ever said that to somebody? Uh, doofus or moron or they're a loser, you know? I mean, it's just like, I mean, we've all used those words before. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, I urge you, brothers, to admonish, encourage the faint-hearted. Don't preach at them. You know, don't make fun of them. Help the weak. Help the, the patient. Be patient with all. You know, there are some people, and I think we get this wrong, there are some people who are just born faint-hearted. You know, they just, life impacts them differently. You say, well, I'll, I'll help them until they get on their feet and they're not faint-hearted anymore. No, I've discovered as a pastor, there are some people who are always faint-hearted. It's like, what? They're not real Christians, right? Aren't you supposed to move out of faint-hearted? No, they're 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 faint-hearted. That's just their temperament. Now, they may be really good at math, and they may be really good at science, and they may be really good at, you know, financial management, and that's all the stuff, but part of their temperament and part of their response to events of life is they're just faint-hearted. You're not going to preach them out of it. What are you going to do with them then? Encourage them. You know, you, you just encourage them. I mean, what a beautiful community that's being created here. And the greatest way you advance your own journey is to bless the journey of someone else. So whose back do you got? Who, who, who knows that if you call them, you know, if they call you, that you're, you're going to kind of respond into their lives? Can't do it for everybody. You know, that's one of the another advantages of small groups, because we all want to save the world, and in the process of saving the world, who do we save? Nobody. Just so many people to save. It's like, well, in the small group, we can kind of identify, okay, these people are asking me to help them reimagine their journey. I'm here to come alongside of them, not just to learn about end times theology or do a Beth Moore study together, or I don't know what that was, but uh, you know. <laughs> I, um, she's amazing, by the way. I mean, absolutely amazing. Um, but it's about, no, 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 no. It's getting you guys together to reimagine life and, and to have one another's back. So on the other side of Abraham, we pick up a different part of the story for him. And we're told in Genesis 14, after Abraham returned from defeating the kings, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God the Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands and Abram gave him a tenth of everything that he owned. And it's like, see, Abraham just comes back from this fight, you know, doing all this battle. We're not told how many of the 318 he lost. We're not told how many of his resources that he lost. Do not imagine a Bible where Israelites don't die. Okay, because we always think they come out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt, they go into the desert, and then they all, you know, have all these wars, and none of them die, or all of David's men all live. No, the Israelites are dying in all these battles. 
And don't think for a second that Abraham hasn't suffered loss, personal loss in the middle of this. And after the skirmish with five kings, he finally gets it all back and he's, he's, he's let Lot have his stuff back and set him back up. And Abraham's probably walking back to his camp and, and God sends this, this, this king, Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace. And he says, listen, go on, bring him a... Bring him a bottle of wine and some bread. Man, that'll mess you up as a Bible belter, won't it? You know? But, you know, bring him a bottle of wine and bring him some bread and just, just speak over him. Speak a blessing into his life. Yeah, he knows about the vision. He's seen the stars. He knows that God has spoken to him. He's had supernatural experiences, but sometimes you just got to allow yourself to be spoken over with the blessings of God. Every one of us. We just need to be blessed by other people. It's like, well, I don't need other people. I'm independent. It's a lie. I mean, it, it, it really is a lie. It's not just a theological lie. It's a physiological and psychological lie. Sociologically, it's a lie. Anthropologically, I'll keep going with it if you want. I mean, it's a lie. Everything we know about human behavior, relationships, and everything is isolated living. It does not work. It's not what God wanted us to do. But too many of us are left alone and try to tough it out on our own. Um, and here's the thing. When we're alone, it's easy for us to develop a low-resolution map of where we're going. Really, it is. is we don't, when we're alone, we don't have enough detail to get from point A to point, to point B. We kind of have a low-res low image of it. And when we add people into our lives, they begin to bring bits of data to our lives to help us see the map a lot better. I mean, I could say, hey, uh, if you want to go to St. Louis, well, then what you need to do is you need to head west. Now, I'm technically correct, but I'm guessing there's a lot more high-res information that an individual would need in order to get to St. Louis. But for a lot of us, when we're isolated, we know that we're supposed to go from point A to point B, but we don't have the, the, the resolution to pull it off. And we need more resolution in our lives. And living in community invites the missing details. And it may be another person's gifts. It may be another person's affections. It may be their experiences. And it begins to add more picture to this thing. You know, we, we begin to see more and more of it. You know, relationships serve as a kind of a scaffolding system. See, right now we're sitting in an auditorium, we're safe, because we're scaffolded. So what do you mean by that? It's, it's kind of like a scaffolding you put on the outside of a building. We have a kind of government that's scaffolding us right now. We have a police department that's scaffolding us. We have codes that determine how high the ceiling should be and, and what the temperature should be and, and where the electrical boxes should be and, and, and what's safe and what's not safe. So we walked in here, we feel so independent, don't we? But you know, this is actually a scaffolding system of relationships, of ordinances, of codes. And, and so when we live in community with a, with other people, we're scaffolding ourselves with resources. It's incredible. You know, it's, it's absolutely amazing when you're in relationships. And even though relationships can be complex and can have um, conflict, 
there, there's a, what I'm going to kind of use, there's a utility of diversity. You know, there's, there's something about the utility of diversity that when other people that are different than me, and even though we have to deal with conflict, whether it's my wife or my children or other people on my staff or people at the church or people down at City Hall or the people in my neighborhood, that if I can see the value of relationship, there's a utility of diversity that comes into our lives. And a lot of us are not living with that utility of diversity. One, one personal example is, um, you know, I, I have a good friend, one of our uh, pastors here at Crosstown um, is a doctor, and, and he's my personal physician, or he was, and, um, and he, uh, so whenever I would have a serious injury, he'd be like, uh, uh, you know, I'd call him and say, dude, I got something going wrong with this part of my body, and he's like, okay, I'll get you in an MRI. Uh, let's see, you, uh, you available at four o'clock today? And I'd be like, Yeah. Well, you know what happened? Is that when he no longer was my doctor, he got really wicked promoted, and that was really good for him. But when he's like, you know you have to wait four weeks for an MRI? <laughs> I didn't know that. You have to wait four weeks for an MRI. You know, I, I'm like, what's wrong with our medical system in America? You know, now I'm seeing a PA. What the heck's a PA? You know, and it's like, wait a minute, folks, that's the way it's always been. Well, you were spoiled. No, there was a, a kind of a utility of diversity operating in my life. Uh, you know, but, but there's something powerful about being around other people in community that actually, hey, you know, if you needed somebody to f- do a brake job on your car as a result of relationships with one another, I'm, I know a brake guy. You know, if you, if you needed somebody to make cupcakes for Sunday morning, like we'll, we'll be enjoying later on. Oh, yeah, where did that come from? The willingness to risk relationships. Yeah, but what about conflicts? Yeah, they're there too. Every car has an exhaust pipe, okay? But I never saw anybody turn down a really hot car because it had an exhaust pipe. And there's really cool relationships that you can have with other people that, you know, they're gonna have conflict. Yes, there's gonna be a little smoke out the back, but you know what? We're all better together when we operate in relationships. And in my own personal life, so many of you have been a source of encouragement in my own time of captivity, in my own difficulties, and the pains that I've had, and the, the, the depression I've gone through in my life, and um, it's your stories that helped me through. You know, there's, there's one woman over here, I won't point her out, but, and there's, there's two guys over there, and there's three people over here that, that when they heard that I was hurt, began to speak stories into my life. I had what you had. I walked through, you're going to be okay. Oh, yes, I was on that medicine. I almost, you know, uh, you know, went crazy. You need to get off of that medicine. And all these stories, and then people telling me, I'm praying for you, and, and I'm concerned for you. And, and people were like, you know, oh, no, no, you're not going to be like this for the rest of your life. And I'll be like, really? You think so? Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to be okay. I'll be like, okay, all right. Yeah, I have what you had, and we speak into each other's lives. Oh, it has been, I have fallen in love with you all over again. I, I didn't even love you before. <laughs> I, I'm just going to be honest. You're just here, but now I love you. I mean, it's like, why? It's because I know the power of your blessing. I know how special you are in your brokenness and in your life experiences and all the pain, all the things you've gone through. Your pain is not wasted on me. You may think it's wasted. It's not. Because when you share it with me, you're my hero. 
You know, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to think this is crazy, but I'll tell you about the kind of love that I experienced here at Crosstown because of doing community with other people. When people heard that I was going through a hard time and, and you know, the medication thing wasn't going to work and the injections weren't working and, and stuff like that, and people, um, I, and, and, and this doesn't get me, I know we have a police officer here, but um, people began to leave their old Oxycontin on my desk. I know, I know. Uh, it's like, wait a minute, they're leaving you prescription drugs? Um, okay, I'll even tell you this. Somebody left me a bag of weed. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You're laughing at that, but the prescription drug thing didn't get it, you know? You're like, no, and everybody's laughing about the, the weed. Oh, um, and you know, no, it was great. The, uh, I mean, that they left it. <laughs> ah, you're so in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But uh, no, they left a little pipe and everything, and, and, uh, and you say, <laughs> Simon's loving this one, because he's like, they're not going to believe anything else you say from this point. If you say you didn't smoke it, they're just not going to believe you, okay? I'm not going to tell you what I did with it. I'll let you reimagine that on your own. But you know what? Uh, you say, well, that was, that was not right. You know, Jesus left us his body and his blood to remind us of community. Here's my help for you. I have been broken and r risen from the dead so that you may have new life. When those people left those things, whether appropriate or inappropriate, they were expressions of their love to me. You know, it wasn't like, I can't believe you left me a bottle of scotch. I can't believe you left me this. And it was like, no, that was my community. You know, that was my community speaking into my life. So there is this real thing called collective sanity. And that collective sanity is you will only get so sane on your own. Really, I mean, you, will, you can organize your life so well, but, but psychologists have discovered that there is a part of your sanity that's collective. It's, maybe it's not the biggest piece, but there's a part of the community element that unless it's clicked in, that I get my san some of my sanity, I get from you, from your faith, from your love, from you covering my back, you know, from your experiences, you telling me your stories. You know, there's a part of my sanity I get that I can't develop on my own that, that you get, that you give to me. So as we're looking at small groups, can I please just move the churchified aspect of this out of the way? That's what churches do? Well, yeah, that's what churches do. Um, because it's so intrinsically God, it's what we do. It's so intrinsically human. It's not American, but it is an expression of our created modality, how we were made, how we function, how everything works. So let me encourage you today. You may have walked in here today just if you came in here just waiting to have your socks blown off by a good sermon and go outside and expect your life to be better, there ain't any preacher good enough in this town or any town whose preaching will do that for you. It will happen in relationships when you've got somebody else's back and when they've got your back, when they bless you and when you begin to bless other people. What helped me out of my depression was not only that people were blessing me with their stories, 
was that I realized I really could bless somebody else with my story, as imperfect as it was. And it's like, wow, I should stay on this planet a little longer. There's a reason for me to be here. Father, as we enter into this special moment, this, this short little time of expressions, we just come to you with our lives. And God, some of us are alone and walking alone and because we have created a facade of independence, we've created, maybe we're living in our 30s and we feel indestructible. But Lord God, the sooner that we discover the value of other relationships, other people, doing community together, having kinsmen, people who are serving the same king that speak into my life, that love into my life, people who will go after me and people who know I'll go after them, the better my life will be. So Father, as we come today, as we pin our prayer to the, to the cross, we do not pin it alone. As we ask for prayer with our pastors, we do not pray alone. As we come up and eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we do not eat it alone or to just ourselves, but to the kinsmen of God. So Father, just speak to our hearts, direct us towards relationships. We thank you, God.